The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything that you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. I've been so pumped to take a couple of friends with our road bikes to some of the trails nearby, and now I can bring the entire crew, my dog, and all of our gear with that third row. Learn more about the new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Nah, 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 come on! On this episode of the Heat Check, it's part two. Part two of the Logo interview with Jerry fucking West. And my goodness, the Logo does not disappoint. If you did not listen to part one, first of all, what are you doing with your life? Second of all, just put the headphones in because the audio is a little not as clear as I am right now. Uh, In this interview, Jerry West gives his opinion on everything from the greatest team in NBA history, which is an absolute shock. How he would construct a a roster around LeBron James from absolute scratch. And what everyone wants to know, right? Every single person said you wouldn't, you couldn't, you probably didn't. I ask him about winning time. Have to ask him about winning time. If you think I wasn't going to ask about that, fam, I waited to the very last bit, but we got there. I'll repeat the caveat for the first interview. Due to the nature of Summer League, not a ton of quiet places to sit down. We ended up sitting inside of a Starbucks. One little another aside. So we're at the Starbucks, right? And there's this guy in front of us. And we're waiting in line to get food. I'm getting like an iced tea. He's getting his little muffin and his hot coffee. And the guy looks back at him. He's like, oh, my God, Jerry West. And he's like, yes. And uh, and he goes, oh, my God, my whole life I've worn 44. Every single place I've gone and played, you're my absolute idol. Could you take a photo? Could we take a photo together, blah, blah. So I take the photo of them. And he goes, the, the patron goes, can I buy you guys your breakfast? And I go, and I look at him and I go, why would you buy this wealthy guy? I go, no, this is what I said. I said, why would you buy his rich ass food? And Jerry starts, he's like, no, that's not necessary. It's all good. And Jerry looks at me and he goes, I'm not rich. And I go, you're not? And he goes, I'm wealthy. <laughs> yes. Yes, as a result, the audio has a lot of background noise from the Starbucks and the conference that I talked about, the Live Your Purpose conference, which a lot of people were living their purpose. That was a tech conference, by the way. Not sure how that's possible. Uh, This interview has been edited for time and clarity. I will introduce each topic for highlighting purposes, additional context for what Jerry says because, I mean, there's a ton of nuggets that you just might not catch. So let's go, Brock. Drop it. (laughs) So I've spoken to Jerry about this before. The 
change and evolution in the game, the overabundance of threes. I know he's not a fan. The question is, how do I get him to say he's not a fan? I thought I would ask him about it uh, for this podcast. His answer did not disappoint. But as an added bonus to me asking like, hey, me and you have joked about this before. What do you think about, you know, the overemphasis? He, it leads into this fascinating discussion about who he believes is the most dominant team in NBA history. Just let's stop right here. Let's just break this down. I've never heard anyone when discussing the all-time greatest teams mention the 87-88 Lakers. This just never happened. This just doesn't Look at, look at every list. It just doesn't happen. Almost everyone else mentions the 86-87 Lakers as a top five team in NBA history. But Jerry West prefers the 87-88 team, which is the team that repeated, which is the team who traded for former number one overall pick Michael Thompson. That is the difference in the roster, Michael Thompson. In order to get Michael Thompson, they gave up two first-round picks and two players for him. Pat Riley, as soon as the trade got announced, he came in and said all kinds of amazing things about what he thought Michael Thompson was going to do for this team. He came in to back up Kareem. This is what Pat Riley said about Thompson. Michael Thompson's more than a role player. He's a frontline player. He's a shooter who can fit right into the low post offense that we run for Kareem. He's also an excellent defensive player, very strong, very smart, and a good passer. He's not a one-dimensional player. An absolute beast, Michael Thompson. How excited were the Lakers when they acquired him? Well, when they requested Thompson's stats from the Spurs, they also asked for Thompson's ring size. (laughs) Also, they picked up Tony Campbell, who, if you're a Timberwolves fan, you probably know him. He's the second leading scorer in Timberwolves history. He averaged 12 points per game for the Lakers in right around 18 minutes per game. By the way, this 87-88 Lakers team was the only team in NBA history with four number one overall picks on the team. This is the pinnacle of showtime with Magic at the height of his powers. Kareem is still a force in his second to last year, and it is a roster full of stars. So if you're not on Google looking it up, because I had to do the same, James Worthy's on this team, Hall of Famer, averaged 20 points per game on 53% shooting. Byron Scott is on this team, averaged 22 points per game that year. Michael Cooper, Michael Cooper coming off the bench, Defensive Player of the Year the year before. Michael Thompson, we already talked about him. Kirk Ram- Kurt Rambis, we know Kurt Rambis, friend of the show. Kurt and Limba- Linda, hard-nosed player who ended up winning four titles with the Lakers. And A.C. Green from Portland, Oregon, confirmed player, uh, all-star who won titles with Magic and Kareem and and Kobe and Shaq. The team ran the fast break better than anyone in history. Still, though, could also run the half-court offense better than almost anyone else as well through Kareem and Thompson. Team might look not on paper as fast as other teams in history. But listen, when they got out into transition and they wanted to run, it looked like they were all looking to PR for their 40-meter dash. They were sprinting. They were impossible to keep up with. Getting the ball in the block to Kareem, of course, allowed them to slow things down, which changes the average 
of their pace of play. Here's what Jerry said about this team, but also in the meantime explained why the three-point has become a solve for less talented teams than teams like this. Fascinating stuff. Ty Lu, for those who don't know, came back and beat the Mavericks after they looked cooked and then beat the Ma- and then beat the Jazz after being down 25 points in the third quarter of game 6. Many people know Ty Lue for being LeBron James's coach coming back from 3-1 with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Other historians know Ty Lue for being on the floor when AI stepped over him. Jerry West, the Laker executive, drafted Ty Lue, so there's a long-standing relationship here. The thing that strikes me about about this is this piece is that the there's an admission that the Clippers should have been dog shit last year. He is shocked that they won as many games as they did. He is shocked that they even sniffed the playoffs, considering how many injuries this team had. Let's talk about it. Kawhi was gone for the year. And Paul George, if you had to ask yourself, how many games do I think Paul George played last year? How many was it? 31 games at 82. He is legit shocked at the Lakers, that the Clippers scrapped and scraped to get 42 wins. Just five games less than they had last year with both superstar players. So listen to where Jerry ranks Ty Lue in the coaching hierarchy of today's NBA and why. Ty Lue is one of the ones who ran a player off the floor. We saw it in the Utah series, but they were down, I want to say 3-1. That series against the Mavs and that series against Utah was the series where I really said to myself, okay, I was incredibly wrong about Ty Lue because the brand or the reputation was, okay, he had LeBron, LeBron and Kyrie, but his his coaching against the Mavs and his coaching against the Jazz was really impressive. Well, he's simply one of the best coaches in the world. People don't know that. And uh, playing for him is delightful, okay? He's not afraid. He believes and he believes in And I would say, when people talk about coaches, he would be up there with the top three in the league as coaches. But more importantly, he's a fantastic guy. He's just so easy to be around. And more importantly, he's so smart. And he has a great, great way of knocking the players. He's, you know, he's not that old. And I drafted him when I was in Los Angeles. And um, he just, he's a bulldog. But he's fun. And um, I feel fortunate he's our coach. All the turmoil we have of injuries, and particularly two of the best players in the world. It's amazing that we won the many games. Do you have a favorite Ty Lue story that sort of highlights and personifies him? I do, but I can't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of them, as a matter of fact. You know, when you draft someone, and I'll, I'll, for some reason, his, he's got a different personality, and uh, he can be really funny, but he can also be very quiet. And so there's a lot of things that, you know, you talk about that always not the best language, uh, but he's, he's easy to be around. He really is. But uh, I don't think we should go there. <laughs> Here in the middle of describing what makes Ty Lue so special, he also takes time to fire shots at the play-in tournament. <laughs> the play-in, 
which I don't like at all. I think it's a horrible mistake because, you know, you can take one game and decide a season worth of work. I just don't like it. And I'm sure the commissioner probably doesn't want to hear me say that, but I don't like it. I just think it's worthless to me. And uh, the danger the danger is, is that these teams that played all year, they, late in the year, if you get a couple of injuries where you can't, they can't play for a couple of the games, one game to decide your season, that's going to be it. And uh, I just don't, I don't like it. I just think it's, I don't know what the concept is. Legit hilarious. The funniest thing about this clip is how Jerry answers the question about how far the Clippers could have gone last year in the playoffs, considering I think it's pretty wide open the fact that the Mavs got through, the fact that the Suns were exposed, the fact that the Warriors broke through, the Bucks got injured. Seemed like the Clippers had a real shot if they were healthy, right? He humbly talks about really how it doesn't matter uh, because we can never go backwards. But then he also says something fascinating. He says, you know, teams are going to, defenses are going to wait on you. But when you have really elite players, it doesn't matter whether they, they wait on you or not. Nothing you can do to stop them. I.E. Kawhi. I.E. Paul George. Kind of a subtle, like, yeah, I think we could have gone deep. He also addresses whether Kawhi could have come back in the playoffs if they would have made the playoffs and Paul George didn't get COVID and they didn't lose to the Pelicans. And finally, whether Kawhi is any different than the outside world views him, considering that they have a very good relationship. Really insightful, really interesting stuff. If Paul George doesn't get coped or go into health and safety protocols against the Pelicans, how far do the Clippers go, do you think, last year, given how wide open it was? Well, I'm not sure if it's wide open. It's a really good team. But I, I will say this. Through, uh, through thick and thin last year, they found a way. But it's just hard in the playoff because there's more focus on, on the coaches. You have a chance to see him play every night. And half the time, if you're just defenses are waiting on it, if you have those truly great players, it doesn't make any difference. They'd still be waiting on it, and they'll be players themselves. And that's kind of hurts not to have the best players playing in the playoff. But uh, I mean, you know, it's only a guess. I try not to look at that. To me, it's a handy duck, and you play it. And unfortunately, it didn't work out that was there a scenario if there was a long playoff run that Kawhi could have come back in the playoffs? Um, I'm pretty sure he could. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he could. And to get him, obviously get him back is like a, a godsend. And uh, he wasn't, and we didn't get there, so we'll never know. You mentioned that people misunderstand you. Do you think that people misunderstand Kawhi as well? Do you think he's different than the outside world sees no, him? No, no he's, he's, he's the same. I love Kawhi. He's a, he's a basketball player, okay? And just watching him work out, you can see how serious he is. So he's not as playful as, as you? Oh, I'm much more playful. Yeah. I'm, 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 <laughs> but I'm much crazier than him. He has a much greater focus working out on his own. But, you know, he's if you're around him, when he first came there, Mr. Cooper is an obviously like, you know, I wasn't running the team, but I go to practice and run around all the time. You know, you're just trying to you watch and you watch and watch, and you obviously can improve. You uh, watch the greatness that he has as a player, but you you wonder sometimes, you know, why doesn't he talk about it? Well, 
since he's been there, I have had the pleasure of getting to know him a little bit better, and it's impossible not to be infatuated. He's got a wide sense of humor. He's, he's a pro. He really is. The thing about this clip that was so interesting, not only in the fact that the Clippers' weakness was passing last year, and that was the admission, is that when describing John Wall, Jerry says that John Wall is a great guy. But his reputation around those who cover the league is not that. He has been known to be someone that pundits take shots at for being too self-focused or who knows. So I wanted to get at why John Wall was such a polarizing figure. And another thing that came out of this process, though, was a little nugget and what the Clippers' vetting process was like in acquiring a player like John and how he also thinks the Clippers are the deepest team in the league and he wouldn't trade it for anybody else. John Wall, one of the biggest, I would say, pickups, one of the most interesting pickups that took forever in a day to, to actually come to fruition. A lot of people, I think, thought that deal would get done or that move would get made last year. What does he bring to the team? Well, he fans another guy that really likes to play basketball. He can get in the lane, he'll find our three-point shooters. It's probably weakness in our team last year, passing. He will get us an upgrade in being able to attack the basket. And he's a good guy. Okay, he, he loves to play. And we're just hopeful that he can stay healthy. Watching him work out, he looked fantastic. Great shape. He's been, he's been working out all year. Uh, that would be a pretty good vacation to make that kind of money and, and not get a chance to play. I would have liked that more much. <laughs> would have been probably 4,000. <laughs> you mentioned great guy, and he's a polarizing figure too. There's been people who have said things about him, and I don't know that they necessarily know him, but why do you think there's this, like, I don't know, disparity in terms of the opinion on him as a, as a guy? You know what? I don't see it. You know, people can say anything they want to about it. may not be clear. You know, there's a rumor from an unknown source that we see all the time. I wish they would identify the source at some time. It just does not, it's not who he is. We've seen our players really like him. A lot of our players know him. And so, before a player comes somewhere, uh, you know, you, you check the players, I mean, particularly ones that know him. And uh, all we've heard were good things. And, all I can go and say just what your eyes see at that moment is how you know know about that. And he, he's just been really good for us right now. So it's not the start of the season. We will, we will see when training camp starts. But we, this is a powerful thing. The Clippers are a powerful team. But no, uh, from 1 to 13, I would not trade this, this team for any team to lose. That doesn't mean we're the best team. But I would not trade it for any team to You think they're the deepest team? So this question was out of left field. No segue. There was no connection to him or the Clippers or anything. I just wanted to know, like, how do you build a roster around LeBron James? If it's you, Jerry West, and all you have is LeBron, what do you do? How do you best set him up for success? How do you build around him in a way that makes your team more likely to win a championship but also accentuates what makes LeBron so great? Pretty simple. Awesome stuff from Jerry. I'm curious about 
LeBron and him as a style of player. Obviously dominant, that's been said. And But if you have LeBron on your team and no one else, what do you think is the best way to build a roster around someone like him or him specifically? Well, again, you know, if you look at him, the thing that makes him too, he probably misses games because of him. He's one of the smartest players that ever played in the game. I think he's better with an open court. I would try to have a team that shooting uh, that can run, people can run, and that's when he's ready to play. And he can attack the rim, he can pick out people on the run. He, that's when he's really dominant. And sometimes when you get involved down in the half court, if you have another player playing with him, and you know, let's say you're because he's so virtually moving all over the place, you're playing up front on the wing. I think that's coaching a little bit. You think he would be better in the block? Oh, no, 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 no. no. He needs space. And as I say, because of his size and his passing ability, he's one of the two greatest players in the play. He's a lot taller figure. He's going to break every record in this league. And he's someone that I greatly admire, personally. I do. Uh, it's hard to do what he's done. Uh, but he cares about the game, cares about winning. He's driven, he takes care of himself, you never hear anything bad about him. Yeah. Because he is a constant professional. But it's guys, not necessarily point guards, because he plays that, but combo guards that can shoot the three and also handle and pass and kind of kind of that's that long, versatile defender that you guys like, that, that Toronto likes. Well, Somebody that's a challenge. Yeah. That's a challenge because the problem is with the team with him, they're usually drafting very low. Yes. Okay? They don't get in that area where they can find one of those players. It doesn't have to be in the top 10. It should be a little bit later in the draft, early second round, they might find a player like her. Uh, and hopefully that will, that will help. It's, a, um, it's just a different way of playing. Yeah, it's interesting. Rosters with him on it look different than other rosters that people construct just because of all the unique things that he can do. Well, you put you, know, you put him with players that are where he doesn't every night just have doesn't have it. He's scoring low. He, he's a lot better that way. And people don't realize how rare and how dependent the people become in play. They just take him for granted, and that's all he does it every night. And he's unique. But some nights, some nights, regardless of how hard you try to score, some nights you just can't. You can't make shots that you normally make. But he's always going to score because he's going to draw fouls and get to the three for a But he's a player that I really greatly admire. He's been doing it for so long, and uh, yeah. the success he's had. He's, as I say, he's going to break all of, all the records. He's been there for a number of years, and that's an amazing tribute not only to his play but his durability. So a little behind the scenes here. So before I ask this question. And I'm a little hesitant in asking it, so I'm a little long-winded in getting there. So I'm trying to get him to address winning time. I'm trying to figure out a way to do that. And I've had lunch with Jerry a few times, and I've been out with him socially as well, and I've never seen him drink. Not one time. Not once. So to me, it was really fascinating that winning, winning time made him look like an alcoholic. Made him look like a guy who throws his trophy through his office window and that he's at the bar getting fucked up, meeting his future wife. Crazy shit. I was 
because I saw Winning Time after we met, extremely sus at this depiction. So I asked him about alcohol use, thinking that might lead us into the Winning Time discussion. But we actually ended up on this really interesting side road, somehow, about the blueprint on giving constructive criticism, how you balance being brutally honest and being a relationship guy, because I think that's insanely hard to balance. And then somehow we got on the role of social media and debate show talking heads in today's NBA. Then he throws subtle shade at the Lakers, at Stephen A., at J.J. Redick. What a turn. Did not expect this. By the way, got to remember, we're about an hour and a half into this interview, and he is cooking. One of the craziest things that I saw and that I, I've, I've known about you for a long time is that you don't drink. And I'm pretty sure, correct me if I'm wrong, that you, you've never had. Well, you know, as I say, I'm not say I don't drink, okay, but uh, there's never any alcohol in my family when I was a kid. If I drink, it would be after a game, I might have a watch in time, but I'm not a drink at all. I don't like, I don't like what it does to me. I'm not, I just don't like to drink. Yeah. I've grown a family and my father smoked heavily. I, there's no way that I can ever smoke anything. And listen, I'm not a perfect person. I'm going to confess to you. But there's things that, you know, I just won't do. Yeah. I'm also not going to, look, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Um, some people don't, I'm really honest. Some people don't get to do that. Yet. That's an interesting question. So how do you balance that? Being brutally honest in the talent evaluation role when people are kind of like, there's another industry out there to try to make things out to be bigger than they are. What how, What do you do? You just don't care? Social media, and particularly these people who get in the air and criticize players, and next day they'll come back and kiss and make up. I don't like that. But they do it for so people will create controversy. Some of these players are not controversial. They are who they are. And uh, you know, I've watched this year with some of the things written about a few of our players. And they are who they are. What, what? You're not going to change it. Right. This is who they are. And I think it's grossly embarrassing on the way. But is it hard for you knowing that you're brutally honest? Does that impact? And you're also a relationship-oriented person. How do you balance those two things? Well, you know, somebody will come up and say to you, you know, I want to know this, okay? And I said, look, this is only my opinion. Do you want me to tell you what you want to hear? Or do you want me to tell you what I think? And sometimes, I'm going to tell you what I think. And I'll tell you. I said, it's not a reflection of you. The reflection of how you can get better, not only as a player, but as a person. How you can interact with people better. How people will be more accepting of you. I said, the most disarming thing in the world, I think, is a smile. And uh, yeah. I just, I'm pretty simple. I'm really pretty simple. And I don't think it's, I don't think life, uh, in this league today, it, it, it's almost gotten to the point of it's the excessive amount of publicity, the excessive amount of content about the players that are in our league and not always looking something derogatory like that. I, I just think it's ridiculous. And some of the people on the air who, who I watch, uh, ex-players, players who accomplish basically nothing, talking about the game, in their opinion. When I play, I don't talk about how I play. It was a completely different area. The game was well, I thought kind of, I thought it'd be modern. Even though I'm older, reading, reading things that are meaningful, 
reading about history, reading about people who have inspired. I say, even though I battle depression terribly, I do care about people a lot. And uh, some people, and NBA players and players in other sports, I want to feel like if everyone plays him when they're with their franchise, and the next second they trade him, and... And then he's not anything. Well, you know, you're just a number. You're just, we are who you are. As I mentioned, players have places where they want to go today. And, uh, you know, they want, everyone seemingly wants to go to a big market city. I want to go to a place where I can win. Because if you're good enough, if you're good enough, you can make a hell of a lot more money with your own team than you can get other team. Also, some places where you go and everything looks great, you get there and you'll find out they're not there. Why doesn't word just get around? Oh, because, well, publicity, a lot of different things. Well, they really don't. That, as I said, I just look at it different than those people. I think over the years, um, I've learned a lot. And I think trust, I'll use that word, trust, trust, trust. It's so important, and there's been some trust in my life that have been betrayed, and I don't know. It's not where I have it, I guess. I'm just thanking my father. Here it is, folks. Here it is. What did Jerry West think about winning time? When I saw that HBO series, I wondered, did they get anything right? It felt like they got pretty much everything wrong. Yes, I really don't. I really don't want to find them about it. It's yeah. a complete lie. It's a complete lie. They have, forget me, okay? Yeah. Forget me. I don't care what anyone says I'm not going to. Right, exactly. And I don't know those people. I don't want to know them. Dirty money. Yeah. Uh, but that was disgraceful to a lot of people. And uh, for some reason, I was the chosen person. That was a feel-good story. That was the start of an era in Los Angeles with Gary Buss and the other made the Lakers for years the most popular team in town. And to me, the crowd of the story that of destroying the people who were involved in that period of time, that's just crazy. I love the concept of an owner to say, let's just do whatever it takes to win. When I look and read about that time, that's the thing that sticks out is just how rare and special and hard it is for owners to do that. Every owner is different. Yeah. If you look at the team today, we have immensely wealthy owners today. Well, of course, because they won in their profession, they don't understand how hard it is to win this game. They don't. They think it's easy. The more money you spend, it's not going to do it. Sometimes people spend a lot of money and they're hopelessly losing. They're not going to get better. And once he gets kind of stuck in the middle, if you don't find a way to get out of that, you're going to be in the middle of the world. Every time or not. Because every year we was looking. Every team in the league. Look what happens when they lose a great player from some franchise that just don't be able to win. And it's frustrating for the fans. Uh, every year there's hope for this in the draft comes in. But it's not easy. And I would, there's no answer for it. They really know. I do believe in ownership a lot. I've been fortunate. I've been involved with four owners in my, in my life. Uh, ownership groups. And I've never really been fantastic. And uh, I think my lucky stars is a leader in and I can help. And I'm with an owner today who is the most amazing man I've ever seen in my life. He was just a unique individual who was a giver. The work that he and his wife do from a philanthropic standpoint, 
is amazing. But he is a great man. He is a great man. I feel privileged at this point in my life, and this is my, you know, this is kind of my farewell to the NBA, that I've had a chance to work with someone like me. I'm very much like, very much like figuring us in the early years of my life. Uh, and both men who keep the love, keep and Gary was a little quieter. Yeah, for sure. And Steve is a little bit more bombastic, but fantastic. My favorite thing that he did was he's like, I'm not going to comment on that. And then he just proceeded to comment and comment and comment some more. He was very honest, very open to the core. You could tell he's not happy about it. We'll just say that. So to close up this interview, I wanted to ask Jerry about what I heard whispers of, which is that there's a standing room only section that's going to be put in the new Clippers arena to create an atmosphere, very cheap tickets, an atmosphere of the student section in college basketball to create a real home court advantage and to make it volatile for opposing teams. Heard about it? I'm like, this is awesome. So I asked him about it. He talks about that, of course, but casually drops that he does not care about championship rings, so much so he doesn't even know where any of his are. He also then reveals why he doesn't like courtside seats. And lastly, most importantly, he says some real nice things about me in his parting thoughts on the record, no doubt. Let's make a montage, uh, something that I can keep handy on my cell phone when I end up sad and down a rabbit hole of Twitter trolls who tell me I don't know anything about basketball and I should be fired. Lastly, you told me about something that's happening to the new arena, a really cool feature that is going to add to the fan experience. Tell me about that if you can. Well, Steven, yeah, he's, you know, he, he doesn't do things but just to make money. Yeah. He doesn't. He wants you know, a fan experience. And there's going to be a whole mutual, not mutual, it's going to be a whole section of seats. Yeah, it's a good seat, standing in room. And I promise you it would be up there with it. And again, the prices are... I heard what they were going to charge, and I said, oh, my God. I said, this is, this will be fun. Kind of college-like atmosphere. So they'll be reasonable, reasonable prices. And below reasonable. Below reasonable. And some of these places you go now, and the floor seats in particular, are outrageous what people will do to have those seats. And I guess sort of demand people want to be seen, and they want to be down there, and hopefully someone will run over them and not hurt them, and they'll have a picture of it for their scrapbook. I don't even like the first seat. You can't see the game. But people like to be close to the action. They like to hear the little raw language at times and uh, facial expressions. Uh, but again, as I say, seeing this arena is going to be amazing. And it's going to be a must-see place. And for people in Los Angeles, really close to the floor. I remember when Staples first opened, I said, oh my God, you know, people are so far from the action. And the forum at one time was the best place to watch a basketball game. It was so close to the floor, but it really didn't work financially because they needed more revenue to maintain the players, and also it enhanced the value of the franchise. 
And um, as I say, this is a different NBA than we've seen it before. It'll be different five years from now, but it's still a very simple game. Very simple. And it's not, that's not going to change. And if you don't stand the whole time, you get kicked out, right? I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the policy is, but I'm sure. I'm sure that's what we're doing, Steve. You'll be up there with him half the time, so that'll we, be fun to watch. Yeah, that'll be fun. I appreciate you. I hope you get another ring. I'm not sure. I don't. Rings don't mean a lot to me. I don't have a few. Uh, I don't even know where they are. Honestly, I do not. You don't even know where the rings are. Like you don't know. You. It's not in a safe somewhere. They're just no, gone. I. They're like in a random drawer. Some, somewhere, okay? And, you know, they're, they're fun, they're hard to get, and hopefully every team and player will have an opportunity for a chance to check. And moving on. That's a great tool. Jerry West, you have been gracious and fun and insightful, and I have taken up way too much of your time. Of course, that's what you always do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to have to have you on I'm again. Say to, I'm going to say something to you. Always great to see you. You, know, I, you have a unique personality, and it's fun to be around. Take a listen. That's all the time that we have for the heat check. If you haven't listened to the first part, it's on the heat check feed. Share it. Tell your friends. I worked really hard on this. I don't say that very often. I did. We'll be back next week. We have another important sit-down, a very open and honest one. Not going to tell you who it is. So you got to keep subscribe. Please subscribe to the fucking podcast. Like, go on YouTube. If you want to see my little face, some people want to see me emote. Some people want to see me emote as I'm emoting. You can go on there. Please follow us on social at, at Trista Crick and at This Heat Check on Twitter and TikTok Instagram while you're at it thanks so much for listening and tell your fucking friends okay picture this It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.